you have to push through that. That is that separates people from good and great. If you can take the failure and make something of it and keep trying until you hit something, that is going to make sure that you succeed. You are increasing your area. You're, 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 you're increasing your landing pad of luck. And you want to land on a landing pad that has a great surface area. Uh, the only way to do that is by trying more. Hey, hope you've enjoyed the episodes thus far. Welcome to episode five. I can't believe we made it. I think you're going to like this one. Pascal and I have started to refocus the pod a bit to be more theme-oriented, especially based on some of the feedback. Thank you, everyone. Today, we'll be going over more details about our portfolio course, and we'll give you a sneak peek about two of the topics we go over. Number one, defining your hook, and number two, targeting the right audience. And in addition to rapid-fire bonanza that we normally do, we added a new segment called Product of the Week. In it, we review a product that relates to the topics. And uh, I think that's about it. So why don't we just jump right in? Episode five. All right. Welcome, everybody. (laughs) One thing I want to start off with this episode five is Mm -hmm. congrats on your background. Oh, thank you. Fantastic. I can't wait to get my, my stuff together and get yeah. up to par to you. It, cut, it looks great. Like the, the lighting and everything, I have to say, pretty cool. Thank you. You know, it took a long time to get this set up and it's not done. I'm actually not happy with it, to be quite honest. I think it's a great start, but I don't think it it fully suits me because it's so unusable as a room. Like before I had this carpet, where I can like sprawl out with the dogs and like cuddle with them and play with them. I have no room in here. Otherwise, they're going to knock over every single light. So I'm going to rearrange it and actually expand the space, but also give me a better background from like the side of the room. So I'm not going to get into that now. Not a big deal. But, but you know, I'd love, I think one idea would be to share what you have and take a mm-hmm. picture of to show others like the setup you have, because I yeah, think sure. the light looks really good. I mean, the, the colored you. light on one side, the light on the other side, basically what I'm going to be doing. But I, like <laughs> me being in this country right now and everything takes so friggin' long to get here. It's just, it takes a long time. So I'll, I'll get to it too. Where are you? I'm in Mexico right now. So Mayan Riviera. Basically living like the, the nomad light. <laughs> Drinking tequila, eating tacos. It's like sick the, of that stuff. The tea, the tea diet. Everything's a tea here. Tequila, tacos, oh. tequila. Everything's. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, but um, hopefully you'll be able to come to Austin soon, and we can even do maybe podcast in person. But that's definitely in the plan. So fingers crossed, it won't be years until I get there, but it's just months. And I want to give a shout out uh, again before we get started to the Kevin Shen for the awesome background advice and uh, kind of learnings. I got to take yeah. his course, the Design a Dream Studio course. And if you haven't and you want to set up your background like this or even better than mine, please check out his thing. He gives a ground level yeah. understanding of everything from, you know, uh, lighting and camera to audio uh, background. And he does a really good job. And, yeah, you know, I, I think that it's a really great starter, starting point for somebody who has no idea where, where to go and then go from there and start investigating topics on YouTube and Google, whatever. And luckily, Pascal and I have so many uh, talented d- design, talented friends uh, that are art directors and whatnot. And one of them might be coming on the podcast very soon. 
to give some more advice, uh, even more one-on-one stuff. So I, I think uh, many yeah. of them are going to come. It's more oh, like when are we yes. scheduling them in? Yes, they are coming. They are. They're actually getting on on schedule right now. I know. All right. But, uh, so we got a yeah. Topic one. One thing I wanted to to talk about was the fact that we're going to launch co- live cohort two. Like what we talked about it. Obviously, why we're doing it. But I think it's important to to let the audience know why we're going with a live cohort again. And mm-hmm. want to talk briefly about some of the reasons behind it. Yeah, that's that's important, and I think it's great because we're not trying to hide what we're trying to do for anyone. Everyone is pretty much going to hear our step by step strategy for how we're going to grow this podcast, the newsletter that's coming up, how we're going to grow our uh, kind of design curriculum that we're planning on building and pretty much growing our audiences. And I think what we what we learned and kind of researched and found out and talked to other people about was for the first bit of time when we're launching things to become a a subject matter expert, you have to give value to people and then the universe will give value back to you. It sounds really cheesy, but it, it becomes true because when we're trying to build this audience, we need to give content a way to prove our value of we are the experts at this thing. Listen to us and hear some proof of it and just keep giving them. And then eventually they'll come back and say, oh, you know what? You do know what you're talking about. And not only do you know what you're talking about, you actually have helped me, right? So our goal is to help people. But in helping people, we need to grow our audience so we can reach a wider audience and then eventually even grow this this thing that we're trying to do. But uh, we need to test our ideas out there as well and not just hide them and then make it a paid wall because we're not at the point yet where we can even do that. Like some people who are much bigger in the industry, like Dan Petty, for example, you know, he doesn't need to test his ideas as much. He can put out like an email thing yeah. and then people sign up. And if a lot of people sign up, then he'll probably do it. But he doesn't need to test the 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 pricing strategy as much as other people would, because for him, he has an audience, right? So a bunch of people are bound to buy his stuff. Like I bought his stuff too. And I, and I love his content. And I think that we need to get to a point where we understand that our ideas are valuable to other people. And we're just going to do a shit ton of that stuff. So starting with um, going back and doing the cohort for free again, we want to make sure that the content is really solid before we actually launch a pre-recorded, high production, very high value, inclusive of so much content course that anyone can do in their own time. We want to make sure that the core elements are stable, but they're actually useful. And we got a lot of feedback from the last cohort. And we want to make sure that after we're fixing some of that feedback, we've actually fixed it. We don't we want to validate it. We don't want to just do it again and and then just put it out there. Um, we want to make sure that what we're putting out there is quality content and people find valuable. And if there's no value in some of the things we say, we need to change it. We need to make sure it's uh, better. So, yeah, and, and then yeah. I, like I'm a bit, well, we are big proponents of like building in public. It's, it's yeah. like building out in the open, working in collaboration until we get to that part. And a lot of it is, from the spiritual realms of things it's like it's a, a lot of it is energy right it's like mm-hmm. what we put out we, we collect and we're gonna put out and we're gonna attract different people based on energy and, and stuff like that so i mean it's it's fun to build out in the open and in public like that and mm-hmm. it allows us to be transparent and like it shows all our 
vulnerabilities as well. Like we're not shy to put our stuff up there. We're not shy to put stuff, even if it, we know it's not perfect, it's going to get better and better as we move. So these cohorts allow us to test things out. It allows, and I think there's a lot of cool things we're going to do in this cohort. So I think that's going to be mm-hmm. something very cool. Like, uh, anyways, I don't want to get into it too much, but yeah, I just wanted to add a bit of content that you were saying. Well, do you want to give a little bit of a preview of what we're going to be doing in this cohort? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of the workshop mm-hmm. items that we want to do, right? Um, I don't want to, I know it's, it's in our topic below, but there's one thing we want to do, right? Is, is work with the individuals at like the hook, right? That's something we want to talk about. It's something mm-hmm. that we feel very strongly from a portfolio perspective, but not only in your portfolio, it could also be that hook could also be used in your Twitter profile. It could be used anywhere else. And I think that's like a a strong element that we're going to do in a live cohort. So, you know, people are going to get to participate, provide feedback, understand, and all that like live and in person, we're going to be obviously providing the same thing we did last time, live feedback on portfolios and, you know, things like that. And one of the other advantages of participating in this cohort is we also want to do, uh, we're, like, it's not a wine and done. It's not when the cohort's done, we're done. Call out a day. Like you still get access to us by email, by Twitter or whatever, but we're also here to evaluate your portfolios in the before, the middle and after, like through these live one-on-one sessions that we're putting it out there. Like we have lots of times allocated for this. So a bit of like mentoring session at the same time. So I think these are advantages for people that do want to participate. And some did, you know, some, we do have people that participated from last time in our one-on-one sessions here. They kind of did all these elements where they talked about, you know, the advantages and not the advantage, but we talked about looking at their portfolios. We looked at providing recommendations, feedback, and they set up another meeting with us and we were able to see the improvements. So these are like some of the advantages of being in live, being in these sessions that potentially in a pre-recorded or recorded session, people won't get. So it, it's, it's also a great way to know what we're going to release ahead of the course. It's like, it allows us to test whatever we're going to be releasing. Obviously, live cord is not like the full-blown cohort that we're going to, you know, do afterwards and and pre-recorded very nicely edited format but it's a like you get a lot of it in there and and it's it's a great way to learn share what you learn and all this live feedback i always find very valuable uh even you know when even at work when we do a lot of live sessions with people it just everybody's energy just comes to the table and like yeah. these, these cohorts are so nice they're so fun because you you don't know what's going to happen in those live cores. And I, I even see opportunity for us to actually collaborate with some of the students inside yeah. the cohorts because when we they reach out to like get deeper understanding of their portfolios and get one-on-one time with us, which is an advantage of the live course that you can get you know faster with that versus having the pre-recorded one, which I think we'll still probably end up doing at some point. But you know, some of them are, are actually really talented. They just need to figure out how to channel that talent. And that's what we're trying to help exactly with, right? Uh, so I can even see in the future us going off and working with some of them too. Because some of them are very talented. 
So I don't want to like dis- disregard them and say like any of them are uh, like bad or like too like naive to actually design. A lot of them are actually really talented people and they actually have a really talented portfolio. They just don't know how to communicate that very well or they don't know how to format it very well. You talked about students, but there's even people sometimes that, you know, I've been designing for a couple of years. They're doing awesome work. And, and sometimes it's just about applying some small edits to their portfolio that's going to make a huge impact, right? Mm-hmm. Like I had been designing for years until I learned a couple, like whatever we're putting out in this course, which changed a bunch of stuff when I was, you know, putting my stuff uh, together for like the design principle package at IBM. I learned a lot because I wasn't applying my portfolio in that framework. I wasn't using specific items or terms. I wasn't selling myself in that way. So I think a lot of people can learn. Obviously, we're catering to entry level to mid, you know, level. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to learn. But to your point, yeah, students coming up now, it's like, man, they're so talented. Like they, you can tell they grew up with a lot of this software way mm-hmm. earlier than just learning it while they're at university. Yeah. And, and speaking of which, we have a, a review today uh, at 5 p.m. Uh, for those who uh, didn't get to take the course, you get to schedule one-on-ones with us uh, forever. Uh, until your portfolio is awesome. So we're, we're open to uh, reaching out or having you reach out to us and we give you our email and you can kind of schedule a time with us on our Calendly to uh, review your portfolio with us for an hour or so. And so we have one of those today and I'm really excited about that because this one's a really good one uh, and we get to help them really improve their stuff. So cool. I think that's about it. Unless you want to have anything else to add to that? No, I like I really wanted to why we're doing another mm-hmm. cohort I, like what's the advantages of joining that cohort i wanted it to to be really clear mm-hmm. and i wanted to have us explain really the, the difference between in our mindset of the pre-recorded and the live right yep. and obviously being in the live people should take advantage of being alive to have get feedback from other people and so on and, and versus a pre-recorded you don't have that interaction that happens usually when a live session and they're more fun too, honestly, because you get to see our mistakes live. You get to also laugh with us and whatever. So, okay. Mistakes. <laughs> You're right. No mistakes, just happy accidents, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right. So that's the upcoming live cohort course on maven.com. If you search for designing winning portfolio, you can find us there. We'll leave a link in the description as well. And we'll relaunch that um, uh, new cohort number two you can sign up for. Uh, imminently so the upcoming pre-recorded portfolio course let's quickly dive into that and then we'll talk about our two main topics and then the two fun things we have stored at the end Mm -hmm. so um the upcoming pre-recorded portfolio course that's basically the knowledge that we're doing in this live recorded course this live it is recorded but it's a live cohort course We're going to be adding a lot more because we have more time to spend on really finessing the details and working out some more subjects that we really want to include in the pre-recorded one, including uh, red flags to look for when you're trying to find a company to apply to and how to interview, how to negotiate your salary as a designer, how to convey your value when you're talking about it and kind of how do you give your pitch, right? How do you give your pitch about what uh, you've worked on and like what makes you special and unique. 
and there are going to be a bunch of more things that we're going to add to it. So stay tuned for what we're going to do for that. We're going to launch a pre uh, buy the course ahead of time for a lower price, or uh, you can get uh, notifications of when we're actually going to launch the full thing up to you. But I would advise get the pre 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 launch because you get to actually have some content maybe edited yep. and shipped before it's fully launched. So really, it's really exciting what we're doing. And, and I, I'm just so pumped to even be working on this. Even if no one buys, if one person buys it, I'll be so happy just because it's fun to do. So we're excited that y- y'all will be able to actually see some of the stuff we've been working on for a long time. Yep. Okay. Two things that we're going to be going over in the live and the pre-recorded, we're going to be talking about here today. And the first one is creating your hook. How do you define that? Like, Pascal, why don't you wrote this down on our notes? We have like a notes list of like all the notes for each episode now. And uh, I saw that you added this and I wanted to dive in with you a lot on this because this is really important. And I don't think majority of people get this right, which is really sad. I think it's important because I kind of see this as this is basically like your five minute elevator pitch or I'd say like a minute elevator pitch to some degree. It's basically... It's the hook. It's what draws people in. It's that first thing that people are going to read, which you're going to, oh, this is interesting. I want to know more. And it, I feel people don't spend enough time on it sometimes, even if, and this translates to your, from a portfolio to Twitter profile and, and, and all that, right? If you look at even like the Twitter profile and that short amount of characters, that needs to be super interesting. It needs to be on point. It needs to be direct. I need to be able to understand exactly what you do, how you're going to help me and how you're going to help solve my problems. Mm-hmm. So basically like explaining to me, like I'm five model. Uh, I was going to say specifically, it, it it has a lot to do with what is the thing that you're conveying, but there's a really cool quick discussion I had with Alex Lieberman, who is yes. a, uh, he's, he founded the morning brew newsletter for yep. anyone who, who's listening, who knows that uh-huh. great newsletter. Highly recommend you subscribe to that. And he said in a tweet, uh, free business idea, $99 a month for productivity coach. We have train, we have trainers and nutritionists for physical health. We have therapists for mental health. We have executive coaches for career health. Why not a daily sparring partner accountability holder for work productivity? And I said, is this not a life coach of sorts? Like, cause that's what I thought life coaches do, right? Yeah. They get you to do the normal things you're expected that you set expectations for yourself to do. And he said, I think it's hard to attach a price to something squishy like that. The more you can tie something to making money, saving money, not losing money, the clearer the value is to the consumer, in my opinion. And I think that that's so well stated because it's not just like getting the point across, but also getting the value across. Like, yes. How do you convey that value so positively that it makes sense? We're reading a lot. Like we read a lot, of, right? And, and a lot of posts and whatnot. And even if you look at, you know, to name another name, like if you look at like Justin Walsh, how he strategizes on how to write effective content. You got to like write it, put it on the side, go back, read it again. I think you got to read it numerous times over to ensure that it conveys the right audience, the right message. And so on. So I think those are elements that, like, in all honesty, a hook is, it's not the easiest thing to do, right? You got to imagine, like, who's your audience that you're targeting? You got to be able to assess yourself. You got to be able to show confidence, not arrogance. I think that's, a, that's you know, mm-hmm. something that's very important. It, it, 
that's why I think we came up like with this workshop that we're going to be doing, obviously, in, in a live session, right? And we came up with ideas on how to strategize and how to create your own effective hook, which then you can go and test by your mom, your uncle, uh, the neighbor, you know, your director, whatnot. But I think it has, you, you need to be able to test it on numerous people to ensure that that short little thing is, yeah, I get it. It's clear. Yeah. It draws me in. It's interesting. It, it, it can, you got to remember, you got to be able to draw in like the HR director, a recruiter. So it has to be in a way that it's so interesting that it draws more than what individual in. And uh, I actually have a funny story about that. I don't know if I said it on the podcast before or if I even said it to you before. There was one time, actually, I think we were talking about putting the hook into the course. Yeah. And in the podcast, I think I mentioned it to you once. Um, there was a professor that I mentioned on the podcast before that he was impressed by what I was doing. And he's like, all right, I want to teach you how to do a pitch. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay. And he's like, cool. So this is what you're going to say. That did it, did it, did it. Say it back to me. And I was like, Hi, my name is Mitchell Bernstein, and I worked at this company, and then I did this, and then I went to this company. And he's like, no, 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 no. Again, like this. Yeah. And then he's like, okay, cool. Follow me. And I followed him, and he led me to, I think, the executive of the department and in the school. And he was like, all right, now say your pitch to him. And I was like, what? He goes, I want you to recite your pitch to prove that you know it. And so I said it and I didn't do it right. And then he looked at me and he goes, okay, time out, pulled me out of the room, said, here's what you say again, put me back in the room. And then I did it again. And it was like, as if the guy had never like walked in the room in the first place, but they were all very kind and like, you know, like just, you know, screwing around with me on that. But yeah. it was a really good lesson to like figure out, oh, I need to even have this thing just in my arsenal when I'm explaining to people what I've done in the past to where I am now. And I was in college, right? So didn't have much, you know, good quality content to actually talk about compared to now. But now, and I still think I have to work on this, I have to work on communicating that pitch when I'm talking just to friends or to, to family and, and to other people that might not even know what I'm doing just because it, if you can level it down to people who aren't in the field, which it's important to know there's a difference between people who are just not going to be working with you and then people who... Uh, you know, like you're at a party, you don't want to talk about it, but then like you're out actually in a function of work and you want to convey your pitch, like who you are. Uh, there's a difference in that, but 100%. it's really important to also get that down for other people to understand because if you if you maybe have one or two different pitches, but they actually convey what you do, that can spread to other people. So if your family yeah. members meet somebody in a hair salon or, or a supermarket or something, and their their nephew is like the CEO of this thing and they want to hire someone or something, right? That's very convenient. So it is essential for you to have a hook and that pitch down. It is. It's, it is it is really important. It's a great point that you talk about because oftentimes like, what do you do? And you got that person that's not in the field. And like, uh, I'm a designer. A designer what? Uh, you try to make it as simple as possible because if you <laughs> just start going with what we really do, it like, what is that? Can you explain it to me? So it's, yeah. I, it's so important. So imagine now that if this is your portfolio mm -hmm. and just like the term designer is so wide, right? There's everybody's mm -hmm. a designer, but the, like you could be 
you know, specifically like an art director, you can be a motion designer or whatnot. Right. So everything you're doing has to convey what you're doing, but also what you want to be working on. Not mm-hmm. just like that's super important. So you got to cater that thing to where you want to go next in your next role and who you're targeting. So those are all, you know, those funny twists that you got to consider when you're writing a hook. Okay. So how do you write a hook? Not going to say that's a secret. (laughs) No, but I mean, it's like writing a hook and just explaining it is it's obviously it's not easy, right? What would you say in a short amount of time? It's something that entices people to want to learn more. That's the number one thing is literally it's a hook that drags people towards more of what you're trying to do. So if you're going to be writing a hook, you have to have something that's enticing and that is of value to people. And it doesn't have to be of value to everyone, right? So don't try to be like, oh, I'm trying to solve the world's problems. Like it's too broad. And I know everyone wants to do that. And like, you know, when I had my bar mitzvah, they, they say, oh, the typical thing you say is, you know, you go up there and doing your, your, your thank you speech. You say like, you know, I want world peace and I want whatever, which I think is BS because for a number of reasons, it's just too broad. But you don't want to just say a bunch of words that have no concrete grounding to them. So you have to find, number one, what's enticing. Number two, what are the pain points that people who are listening to your pitch of whatever it is that you're trying to convey need? If the thing is of value to somebody why is it a value to somebody? It's because that other that person can't figure out how to do it themselves. They can't articulate it. They can't, and it's your job to articulate it. But can can they not conceive of 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 a solution themselves? Or is the solution out there and they just don't know how to attain it? Right? It's your job to kind of put that on a silver platter and give it to them. Because the best kind of advertising is when you're solving a problem for somebody and they trade you money for it. And they are happy with the money that they traded you for that value in return, right? That's how advertising is successful. And if it's not successful, usually it's like they you give they, people give you money and they don't like what you give them in return and then with their money back, right? And then you have a bad brand. But for this, you have to be enticing and you have to be trading value for something that somebody finds to be a problem in their lives that they're, that they're missing. The reader, the reader or the, the viewer usually estimate the value of what they're looking at or reading within the first 20 seconds. So it has to be very compelling in a very short amount of time. So it has to capture your audience very quickly, in my opinion. Okay. And also, I guess that'd be the third point. It has to be quick and succinct. Yes, because it's like anything. It's like you can, obviously, when you look at a portfolio, you glance at it without reading it, obviously. So you just have to, to, you know, to draw you in with that hook. If we're just con- concentrating on the hook, I have like that, I've read numerous times over. It's like the first 20 seconds are super important. You can obviously haven't read everything, but it has to capture your attention very shortly. I mean, you're basically scanning like words that are you're hearing, right? Yes. And the words that catch your ears is what's going to make your head turn towards listening further. Yep. Um, and, and typically when people give pitches if you include a story like a very short story and sometimes it's emotional people pay attention more because they like to feel your feelings because sometimes they don't have those feelings themselves and they want to experience it or because they felt those feelings and they want to be um oh what's the word like they want to be matched they want to be like in the same realm as you because they feel alone 
So when you give them a story, they want to be a part of that story and they see themselves in the shoes of you. And so if you're able to convey that in your pitch, that's even better as well, right? Giving that story and people can imagine it better. They can keep that with them and then they can bring it along and share it with other people. That's kind of how like, right, the, the Odyssey, Iliad, those were shared because there were stories that people were able to remember and feel. It is. And it, it's like that hook in a sense should almost be, should I offer uh, a striking beginning to motivate your readers to encourage further reading or further discovery of what you're doing? Okay. So I'm going to give some examples because I think that we need to ground some of this stuff too, right? The theory is cool, but we need to actually give examples of that. So things like, for example, book covers, like the design of everyday, I have like a list of like, um, my likes on Twitter. And I like, I've recently realized that I've favorited a lot of really good like pitches of like titles. So for example, the design of everyday things, right? Very simple, very succinct, but design is a very abstract topic. So as it is, it's already difficult to convey that, but everyday things, this is the key word or key phrase in that statement. And if you look at the book cover, it also has like a, a picture of a, uh, a teacup or teapot that has the handle underneath where the spout is, which is just not usable. It just, you'd be burning yourself and it's too hot to hold. So it's like a joke. Uh, but the design of everyday things is very succinct, memorable, and it, it catches your attention because it's like, you're like, wait, I can design everything. And like, I didn't realize at the same time, everyday objects, uh, you know, ready-made, everything already exists. Uh, these things have design behind them because, and, but we don't really think about it that way. So it kind of captures a lot inside that. So that's number one. Um, there's a recent website that came out called neoplants.com. Okay. I highly recommend you check that out. Uh, their tagline is the future of plants is here. Yeah. Why do I find that to be successful there and not successful in other things? I would say the future of plants is here. Like, what the hell does that mean? The future of plants, it turns my head because plants I didn't think you can innovate on. They have done that, but I didn't think you can innovate on them. They've yeah. actually created a new variety of a uh, house plant called the uh, a pothos. They created a new variety of the pothos plant, and they have this cool pot that it sits in, but it basically is engineered to, I guess, absorb more carbon dioxide in the air, more, yeah. more pollutants in the air, which is really kind of clever if you think about it. And they have a great kind of like copy as well. It's kind of like plants don't need filters, which is just so like, oh my God, like how come no one's really said that before? Because it makes so much sense, but also it's exciting and it's it, it makes you feel a little bit better inside because I hate having to change the, the filter. It, the filter is an association of something that's like a, a mundane task, whatever. It's yep. so like they have a lot of great copy that conveys the value and conveys what they're trying to do, 100%. maybe in a more mysterious way, but then it, it's still enticing enough to get yeah. you to read more. So that's yeah. two. And I'll give you another one. Uh, let's see here. So another one is um, Xander Whitehurst's Twitter feed of Figma tips, right? So he starts off usually the video with like some sort of like title of the like, all right, here's the thing that I'm going to go over today. And his said says three mega underrated Figma features, right? And why is that? So I'm giving like three different topics of three different things, like a book, yeah. a website, and then like a video like for TikTok or whatever. Yeah. And so this is cool because three mega underrated Figma features. If those who don't know what that is, Figma is a design tool that Pascal and I use and hate. Anyways, uh, <laughs> um, three mega, mega is a really big, you know, kind of colossal word or, or, or emotional word. And underrated 
uh, I guess it's un- it's implying that I don't really know it. And then it's about a thing that I use every day. So I'm more inclined to kind of pick it up. And I think that he has a really good job at making these videos because they're like, all right, now press up, move to the left. And like, they're funny if you listen to them. And I was talking to somebody else the other day in person. He was trying to imitate the guy in person. It is hysterical. But three mega underrated Figma features. That's fine. It's succinct. It gets the point across. I, I can remember it. And it's good to kind of bookmark and like on, on Twitter, Twi- uh, LinkedIn, or, or yeah, TikTok, whatever it is. I agree. And he has 307 likes on that and 3,000 or almost 4,000 views on it. So clearly it works. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw another one here that I like, which is of a profile. It's about uh, Brian Smart. It's somebody that I follow. I like, I really like how he's a, like, he's really human and he puts himself, like, he's a transparent person. He always puts himself out there. And like his uh, thing is the dadpreneur. So it's like he's an entrepreneur, but the dadpreneur, I just find that interesting. <laughs> but he says like, it's building easy to install content systems for growth coaches and consultant to transform your content into a 24-7 attention monster. Posts to level up your content and visibility. I find it's like, it's interesting. You get to know what he does very easily. And it's just very transparent into mm-hmm. a way. It's it's bold saying that, you know, transform your content into 24-7 monster. So it's like, okay, that's very daring for someone to say, I want to learn more. So he came at it very bold and very, it's like a future of plants. Like, okay, mm-hmm. really like the future of plants? I want to know more. So it's like, yeah. I find this like, you got to find that those things that are very interesting. And it, there's people that are very good at creating those hook or like mm-hmm. that marketing twist to things. And I think that in order to be good at creating this kind of stuff and, and coming up with it, you have to be good at copywriting. It's practice. I say it's like practice. Well, you have to practicing copywriting you have to know yeah, yeah. how to write and how to communicate words correctly sure. articulate those thoughts and make them fun make them interesting make them part of the mood of what you're trying to convey i would say a good start people is to sign up for sam parr's course on copywriting if you look that up on okay. google you'll find it uh but and i have to do, actually take it myself i bought it but i never actually listened to the emails but i have to do it basically he's basically asking you to copy right by hand a bunch of different i think great copywriting things. So as you write it down, you're memorizing it. And then yeah. you're able to add and build on top of that. So you have to practice that kind of stuff. And I of highly course. recommend everyone try that, even if you're not doing design, like if you're doing therapy, if you're doing uh, if you're doing uh, something for uh, anything else medical, if you're doing construction, whatever it is, you should definitely be good at copywriting because that can take you farther. How can you uh, write an email that can get you a higher offer, higher, you know, raise your salary or the promotion? Or how do you get that hotel to, to, to persuade the hotel to to give you the extra suite or upgrade the suite? You know what I mean? So copywriting is really essential in many different things, not just in the career that we're talking about on this podcast design. One thing we wanted to cover as well was targeting your audience. You know, the difference between agency versus enterprise versus freelance versus manager, hiring managers, coworkers. When you're either building your portfolio or sending your content out through your portfolio to be reviewed. You and I talked about it many times often. I am one that changes his approach depending on who I reach out mm-hmm. or whoever reaches out to me. I'm going to either cater the portfolio I'm going to send. I'm either going to cater 
the approach or wording I'm going to use in my response, in my email or whatnot, depending on who, you know, I'm yeah. in contact with. If I'm enterprise software, it's, you know, I have uh, sort of not a template, but an approach I use. If it's a structure, it's a, yes, a structure to change the words. If it's more a freelance, it's a different structure. And if it's, mm-hmm. you know, more uh, startup to mid-sized company, it's a different structure because they're not looking out for the same things. They're not looking mm-hmm. out for, you know, if depending on the roles, they can be mm-hmm. different. So can you talk a bit more on why it's important that we change how we either communicate or how we are, we need to be nimble with that portfolio shell mm-hmm. to reflect those different categories. Yeah, it, it, it has a lot to do with the capacity of what somebody is looking for and what somebody can reach. So if you're a, a hiring manager at an enterprise, you're going to want somebody who thinks like, the, like you the way that you want to, them to think. You don't want like a wild card to come in and or like a wrecking ball and like destroy the company because and destroy other relationships in the company because we need to keep order to maintain a balance of that particular ecosystem. When you're at an agency or startup, you're probably looking for more of an oddball, someone who's kind of weird, but also like kind of comes up with these crazy ideas on their own and is able to implement them, right? At an enterprise, you probably don't want that because you don't want to have too many, you know, chefs in the kitchen stirring the pot and then like it overflowing and spilling over everywhere and then everyone's burnt and then all of a sudden the customers are like it's a very long metaphor and the customers are like really upset and angry and hungry so you really want to make sure that uh when you're kind of looking for people to work with looking to find a new job whatever it is working to make a deal that you understand the audience that you're interacting with this applies to everything like presentations which we're going to do a course on in the future, uh, you know, how you're going to approach your manager for a higher salary, uh, how you're going to talk to uh, your clients and whatnot. You have to understand their capacity of, of what you know and what they're able to achieve. Yep. And not everyone's going to be able to do the same. So like, for example, a lot of the students in the course are not visual designers, which is kind of unusual because we didn't expect that, but it is what it is. And we want to make sure that everyone has a good time in this course and actually learn something, take away the value, and then add that to the portfolio and get a higher paying job. When we were kind of giving feedback, I think a lot of the time we were focusing a lot on the visual stuff, and I think that's fine. But I think that we needed to, again, shift gears towards the story and more of the writing because more people in, more students in the courses that we were teaching, their capacity is not of our design visual skills we don't we we are sitting up here because we have so many years of practice and failure and critique they don't have any of that so they don't know how to grind to get better we can tell them okay this is the principle of design like of one principle of design but like they don't know how to implement that correctly because they don't have practice with it clearly right so we emphasize so much on that their capacity to actually reach our standard was was way off. And I think some of them could reach it. And I think that we still need to be hard on them, not hard, hard, but like hard enough that like they get that the content is valuable, but they have to figure out the connection between what we said and how to get there. No. But, you know, for other people, you have to understand what their capacity is. So like, again, an agency, 
You'll know a lot more about this than I do. An agency will want someone who has uh, their hands in many different projects because they need someone that's versatile, right? Usually agencies are smaller, but enterprise probably wants someone that's very specific at motion design, for example. I remember hiring, we were looking out for a motion designer and I had to like interview motion designers or like I had to like review their portfolios and I'm like, okay, I know this is one skill that they have, but like what if they really hate doing it here and they want to switch paths? They're kind of stuck because they're hired for one thing and then that's what they're known for. And then if they switch, then that team loses the motion designer and then they have to find a new motion designer. So it's very difficult for that circumstance, which is one downside to an enterprise. Whereas uh, if now we're talking about the portfolios, if you're going to be, actually that kind of ties in because uh, that person, if they wanted to also eventually switch out of motion design or do more things in motion, I would advise that person to include more projects that are not just motion. Half motion but also include other things. So it shows that you are versatile enough to switch away, but you can stick to this enough to be hired for that specific thing if if you are, you enjoy and, and want to do that. So if you were to kind of cater that, the enterprise would have a very specific way of looking at that. The agency and the startup would also have different ways of looking at your work. Yep. There are ways to make it broad. You can like communicate your stuff broadly, but it doesn't, it doesn't help always. It can backfire pretty hard. You can do two paths, right? There's two strategies. You can make it as broad as possible where anyone who's anyone can read, view, look at it, and then like it, and then like reach out. Or you can target it towards a specific group of people, a hiring manager at this type of company, and then that way they're more likely to pick it. You're basically trying to increase and decrease your chance of something happening, and you have the levers at your disposal. So... You have to yep. figure out what, and I'll end on this and then you can talk. You can you have to figure out who you're trying to target, define that, define that, define that, and then build your portfolio around that target, right? If you're going to be shooting a bow and arrow at a target, what's going to maximize your chances of hitting the target? If you made the target bigger, yeah, that'll maximize your chances of hitting the target, but you're not going to hit something necessarily in the middle if it's bigger. If you go closer to the target, you might have a better chance of hitting the target. But if the target's you know too small, then you also have a, a decreased chance of hitting it, right? So you have to figure out what levers can you pull to maximize your chances of hitting the target. And that target is the target audience. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's like, I think it's going to be another thing that's going to come into play is testing, but also testing. Mm. Like you talked about copywriting. That comes into play too, in a yep. sense where the way the words you're going to use to form or, you know, capture the attention of, of that specific audience is going to come into play as well. Mm -hmm. Is there a one size fits all approach for like to talk to enterprise? Not necessarily, right? I mean, you're like, depending on the type of designers we are, we're going to approach it slightly different, mm -hmm. but there are ways to talk to, I would say, you know, enterprise software versus uh, uh, agencies versus startup. I mean, there are ways to formulate our approach that may capture it. And it's something that, you know, we could potentially put out there as, you know, thoughts on how you could approach. Here's a Twitter thread. I mean, I think there's something we could help with either our past experience. Do I have like the answer perfectly now? Not necessarily. Uh, I think like the way I, I you know, it, it talks about how you framed it earlier. It's about being able to 
I'd say it's like, you know, enterprise is going to be often like about outcomes, how you provided and how you were able to get to business objectives, business outcomes. It's not about reinventing the wheel all the time because enterprise doesn't reinvent the wheel every time. Like it obviously modernizes itself, but it's not like an agency. What, what would, uh, well, I guess, what would agency then look for if not outcomes? It's always outcomes, but I think okay. the outcomes may be different. That's what I mean. It's like, I oh. write the outcomes. I, like, this isn't how I do it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it yeah. that, like that. So how, 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 how do you formulate your, your, but my, your my outcomes are different in a way. Like if it's enterprise, obviously it's, it's geared towards, you know, let a team in order to get XYZ outcomes. We're able to increase NPS scores by XYZ outcomes An agency, not agency anymore, but it was, you know, launch a new brand, which created, you know, X percent spike in communication. So I, I, there are ways to, they're all outcomes, but I think what they're looking for at like the tail end of things is going to be different. Is it always outcomes? And then you just write them differently. Yes, they are. These are always outcomes. Do I have the perfect template? No, not yet. I, I also play with it all the time. It's like, it's not this, I keep saying wine and done. It's this thing that we continuously learn and evolve. And I get better at it every time I have to go through it. And I adjust my, my theme every time I transition in these types of things or rules. And I think it's, it's important to know that it's not a one size fits all approach all the time. Okay. And it's cool. okay to experiment. So I think it's like, that's an important thing. And. I guess to, to wrap that up and then we'll move on to the next section. How do you tar like, how do you, uh, test the, the targeting, how well it works or how well it doesn't? So if like somebody is not getting portfolio clicks, if they're not getting people responding, yes, they're always getting no. Sorry, we filled the position. Sorry, you weren't a great candidate. How do you measure and how do you test what works the best for you? First thing is it's okay to respond back to that recruiter or manager and ask for feedback. It's okay to say, I know I wasn't chosen. I want to keep improving. What is it that either didn't work? I can improve. And oftentimes, like we're all in this field, we're all trying to help each other out. They're going to respond with feedback. It could be like, they could respond with the experience wasn't right. And that's okay. Like, that's one thing. It could be the portfolio wasn't strong enough. Okay. Now you've, you've received feedback that the portfolio wasn't strong enough for XYZ. You can ask for, do you be more specific? But at the end, it's, it, we should be looking out for feedback. And let's say you've applied a hundred places, you get a hundred no's. I would say start, you know, asking mm -hmm. feedback to a couple because out of a hundred, you should have received a couple of at least, you know, I don't know the percentage of email, but, you know, 3% should have replied with like, move on to the next round and so on. So if it's not happening, I would say, seek out feedback from, you know, a mentor to look at it from a director, you know, from, a, you know, another friend in the design field or hiring managers of a company that you've applied to and ask for feedback. That's a great way to gather data. Mm -hmm. And then you can potentially build a rapport with that hiring manager and say, I don't want to, is it okay if I rebuild it and send it to you and just let me know if I've improved on X, Y, Z. And it's, it's been successful for me doing that in 
some areas or with some companies that I've received great feedback from that. And I was able to transfer and create a better hook or a better approach to how I wrote a lot of the things that I have in my portfolios. I think the key thing you said was feedback, right? If you don't get feedback, you can't figure out how to improve. How would you know what doesn't and doesn't, what doesn't, doesn't work? You don't because you need to have that, that loop of, okay, I've tried this. It didn't work. Let's try this other thing. Did it work? Yes or no. It didn't work again. Okay. I'm going to keep improving and trying it. But if you're just changing things and you're not getting feedback, you're not going to understand why that thing worked or not. Maybe you'll eventually hit it, but it's going to take you a lot longer than if you just reached back out and said, Hey, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I understand that I didn't get the job. Thank you for the opportunity. I would love to improve why I didn't get this job. What did I do wrong? What did I, what can I improve? Maybe not what did I, what did I do wrong, but what can I improve? And so that I can be better for the next uh, company I apply to. And oftentimes a lot of people will respond. Yes. I know that it doesn't happen all the time. I've done it myself. Uh, you know, I've reached out to people and they just, you know, say, don't say anything. But if you don't ask, you don't get. 100%. You got to try. And for those who are newer in the design careers and those who maybe who have already been in, in design for a while, uh, how to get a, a job as a designer guaranteed the most effective step-by-step guide for design students and graduates. Highly recommend you pick up this, this book up. I picked this book up right before I got my first job uh, out of college. Absolutely changed the game for me. And it put a big perspective, not just like it gave me strategies and like how to actually templatize the emails that I'm sending out or how to like create certain things or whatever and get like some pointers of like what works and what doesn't work ahead of time. It also was a mindset shift because, and we'll talk about this in another episode about failure. I really want to get to the next topics, but the, uh, uh, you know, receiving no so many times is so degrading to your mindset. And I, I know you and I have both been through this a lot, especially more recently. I, I've been through it a lot. And going through the email inbox and just says, nope, sorry, you're not a good fit. We found somebody else, better candidate. Da, 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 da. It is really crappy. And we'll talk about this again in another episode, but you have to push through that. That is That separates people from good and great. Yeah. If you can take the failure and make something of it, and keep trying until you hit something, that is going to make sure that you succeed. You are increasing your area. You're, 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 you're increasing your landing pad of luck. And you want to land on a landing pad that has a great surface area. Uh, the only way to do that is by trying more. That's the bottom line. Okay. So there are two more topics to uh, discuss today. We're going to introduce a new topic, a new segment called Product Review of the Week, and then our Rapid Fire Questions, which I did not come up with yet, so it's going to be interesting for me to do that part on the fly. Nice. But I did want to talk about two things in particular this week. Yeah. Number one, and these products typically will relate to the topic of the podcast, so it's not just something out, out from left field. This week, talking about IA Writer, IA Writer app, which is something that I've fallen in love with. They're not a sponsor. I would love them for the video sponsor, but but you know maybe one day. Uh, IA Writer is a fantastic tool if you want to write down your thoughts in a very clean and organized manner. I personally love it. I give it an A, not an A plus, but an A uh, uh, as a product of review of the week. And that doesn't mean that product reviews have to be positive. 
there are also yeah. negative things that we're going to be talking about uh, of these things too. Like for example, especially in this product, uh, their navigator for like the the file organization is really kind of not native. It doesn't feel, and it just doesn't feel natural enough to use. It's very mechanical. And you have to know the kind of hidden little uh, inconsistencies it has with other products. Yeah. So I don't like that part about IE Writer, but the IE Writer lets you kind of open up in like this full screen mode, and it's just so beautiful and focused, and it's it's just a very elegant way to create uh you know file or writings in files and then you can also preview that in a more kind of natural kind of uh uh experience as well what do you think i totally agree with everything you said i'm not a fan of the website (laughs) what i love the website no i don't know really what what are you talking about let's okay i'm pulling it up right now no you don't like this why i don't know it feels like it's just ma. It's ma. Yeah, I mean, it's just. I was dude. Expect- they have they have Tim Cook on the website. If you scroll down long enough, you'll find the website with Tim you, Cook. But on you it. just said something. You get too strong long enough. I have to capture my attention all the way to down so that I can see Tim Cook. I didn't have to scroll long. I was flicked it and I saw Tim's face and I'm like, oh look, Tim's face. He. Has I mean, a don't get me haircut. wrong. <laughs> the content on it, the IA writer is just fantastic. Like I give you, I have the same thing that you said. I just think the site, I would have done, well, this is my design impression, but I think I would have done it a bit differently. How? Okay. I don't know. I'm not thinking about it, about it. But yeah, all joke aside about the site, it's a fantastic tool. I have to agree. The only reason why I like the site is because it matches the tool itself. It, I know. it literally looks like the format of the tool. 100%. And I get it. You have terrible taste. It's fine. <laughs> no it's cool it's cool no i i get it I, I i understand where you're coming from you don't you and i don't always have to agree um thank you for thank you for confirming that because <laughs> i know for a fact we're gonna disagree a lot in the future a lot of cool things coming up especially next week um but yeah so that that's that tool i absolutely do love using when when able to use it and especially for writing out your your kind of your pitch it's a great way to like kind of organize your thoughts in a very yep. simple thing. It's it's like Google Docs, like any other tool, it but is. it feels a bit different. There's a lot less clutter and chrome of of utility in the way, and it lets you write. And you can have there's some really cool features like the the language uh, high, syntax highlighting, and like you can highlight all the nouns and the verbs and whatever. It's cool. You know what it feels like to me? It feels like it went back in time. It went back to mm-hmm. like how the computer used to be. You know, there was a Chrome, yeah, before, right. Yeah. The, the OS was like. That was it. You were it's you and the machine. I don't remember this because this wasn't my generation, but you can go ahead and and, and, uh, bathe in it. (laughs) Yeah, I know I'm that old, but it's like I remember back that it's like you just it was you and the machine. Mm -hmm. That's all it was. You were given the commands, the computer, and the computer was like reacting based on what you were doing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's this is it. It's basically just removing everything so that you're able to concentrate on the thing you're concentrating on and it skews away and i think that's really important key is oftentimes we're distracted by too many bells and whistles for absolutely no reason uh i keep looking down because my dog's underneath the desk and i think i'm gonna set up a camera under the desk so i have to wear pants next time but uh it, he's just so cute i have to say that um yeah. he never sits under the desk i think it's like a new thing he he, he wants to be part of the podcast no mine mine is always at my feet 
So the other thing I want to talk about just because of what today is, do you know what today actually is? It's Monday. Monday, but you know what, what why it's so special? No. Nope. Today, today was the day Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone. Oh, cool. Uh, many, that many, changed many the game ago. for everything. Oh my God. So I, so I, I wanted to kind of give a little bit of a tribute and just say, thanks Steve for pushing the company into creating the iPhone because you know, change all of our lives. And, and the thing is, that was in their first phone. If you remember like that story, right. right? The other thing that they tried to launch was hideous, but they weren't approaching, they weren't doing that as a design-led company at that point. Steve hadn't joined the company. It's only when Steve rejoined the company with Stevie Ive, or did I pronounce yep. his name correctly? Uh, yeah. Jonathan Ive. Uh, Jonathan Ive. Jonathan Ive. Sorry, <laughs> mixing a lot of Great things in my tribute. <laughs> I apologize, but it—if you remember, like that old phone, it was very functional. It mm-hmm. did everything that everybody wanted, but it was there was no aesthetic. It wasn't pleasing mm-hmm. to look at. It wasn't simple. And when Steve they redid that iPhone with Steve, man, that just changed the game forever. Well, it. I have iPhone listed on this thing under the product review. And I want to talk about like the original iPhone. I can't find my original one. It's somewhere. It's somewhere in my things, but I can't like the find iPhone it. 3? The iPhone three, you know, the iPhone, the original iPhone. Oh yeah, like, yeah. no iPhone X, no iPhone two yeah. G, three G, yeah. whatever. It is, just iPhone. Actually, I think it was two G. But um, iPhone was so great because it introduced a new way to interface with technology, not just phones, mm-hmm. but having a screen that can adapt to the context of what task you were trying to do so the screen became a phone the screen became a browser the screen became an ipod right that is why it was so unique i would say like the phone became the computer in your pocket yeah and then yeah yeah because basically that that's what it is it's like it's so powerful right if you if you're i had a motorola crazer at that point Mm -hmm. flipping that thing and texting was like a pain in the arse Mm -hmm. like some people were really good they weren't even looking at it or could text I had to like super concentrate on like three, three, three. Like mm-hmm. it was hard. And I think they just changed, like you said, they applied a visual aesthetic to it using touchscreen. And it, it brought in so many different things. And it all of a sudden did like that magical techno- technological leap mm-hmm. forward so fast and everybody had to catch up. So, yeah. So I think we're in actually another technological leap with AI. Yes. Once we start seeing the improvement of parameters and like, um, uh, like, uh, I guess tweaking. I, I, I don't know. I don't remember the the exact um, uh, terminology right now. But not twerking, tweaking. Not twerking. Definitely, you know, we don't twerk the AI. But if you're able to tweak the the model, you can then produce something really magical that is really great at doing specific things. Yeah. So I'm excited to see where that goes. I want to move on to Rapid Fire, but just again, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Apple. And that was our little quick tribute to the iPhone. I know it's kind of, that was kind of out of left field, but um, so it was just kind of nice. today was, yeah. Rest in peace, Steve. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm a bit nervous about this one because I haven't seen anything you're going to throw at me now. Oh, me neither. So <laughs> this is great. So uh, this one, I might it, it's going to be rapid fire, but it might not be this or that kind of rapid fire, okay? Okay. So 
podcast or writing? Uh, it's hard because it's like two different side of the brains for me in a sense. Like, what do I prefer? Yeah. Podcasts are more fun. They're more fun. Okay. We'll get to see, like, I think, a bit more of our personalities into this. Although writing allows, like, I have a style in the way I write. So, like, mm-hmm. my style comes out. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'd say podcast. Framer or Webflow? What do you prefer? Uh, well, I've spent the last two weeks in Framer. So, I'll say Framer. Okay. For now. <laughs> but there's a big but that comes with it that we'll talk about next episode. Uh, cats or dogs? Dogs, 100%. I Good don't answer. like cats. <laughs> it, it, like it's not the I cat that I don't that. like. It's the litter part of it. it just, I you can't. Like that smell? It's like, ah, oh, it smells like poison. I know you just love the smell of dog poop, though. That's great. They don't poop in the house, so I don't, I don't smell it. <laughs> well, they don't have to poop in your house if it's a cat. They can poop outside. But yeah. they usually poop in the house if you have litter. What color MacBook Pro do you prefer? MacBook Pro? Yeah. Because they come with different colors. Gold, silver, space gray, Mac gray, whatever they call it. I'm still waiting for the matte black version to come out. <laughs> Didn't they used to have that for like the plastic Macs, MacBook Pros or MacBook Airs? I don't know, or but that's MacBooks. what I want. I want a matte yeah. black approach so it matches my Opal camera, so it, mo- it matches like everything else. Matte black, it's just perfect. And then I think the the last one, which is a good transition to next week's, I believe, podcast: Zoom, Google Meet, or Microsoft Teams. Which do you prefer the most? Is there like a other? Yeah, sure. Fill in the blank. I don't know. Uh, there are pros and cons, I would say, to all. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, like, some, like, what I like about Teams, in a way, is once the meeting's done, it transitions into a chat where you can attach stuff. Or whatever you write stays there. Like, Zoom doesn't do that. Like, when chat mm-hmm. goes away and it's done. Mm-hmm. Google Meets, I don't know. I haven't used it that often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it's pretty good. Uh it's hard for me to provide a winner on that because every, we all have something to improve. Cool. All right. Next time we do rapid fire, I'll come up with better questions. I promise. Uh, all right. So that was the conclusion for episode five. Thanks, Fantastic. everyone. Fantastic. Thanks, Mitch.